0: The Biz News Power
1: Hour. Welcome to the Biz News Power Hour, where we give you the rational perspective on business news that matters. Indeed we do, and we've got a special treat for you tonight. The most rational of all rational human beings, Dan Ariely, uh, known as the one of the greatest behavioral economists in the world. Well, he will give us his insights into where we should be putting our money. Oh, yeah, he started an asset management company. We've got that coming up later in the program. And then my colleague Jackie Cameron uh, had some fascinating discussions today with Brian um, van Royen. You might remember him from But, the A cannabis company, well, they're a little late with their financial results and the JSC is getting uh, somewhat edgy. And of course, this being Tuesday night, Stephen Nathan is our man who will be bringing us up to date on the way that he sees the world. But first, it's time for markets.
2: Bride Rock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity and the markets aren't any different. The daily movement in the markets mean change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by Brad Rock, the first ever needs meshed life insurance that changes as your life changes. And
1: here's Justin Rowe Roberts. Justin, how are the markets today?
3: X was slightly lower at 65,400. The Rand is flat against all the major currencies to 14 Rand 34 cents to the dollar, 19 Rand 94 cents to the pound, and 17 Rand 07 cents to the euro. Gold is steady at $1,778 an ounce. Kruger Rand is trading at approximately 25,500 Rand. Brent crude is low at $75 a barrel. And Bitcoin is well down, trading at a touch over 415,000 Rand per coin as it slid below the $30,000 mark today, erasing all of 2021's gains. If I go to the JSE, some of the highlights for the day, uh, good to see the resources stocks, Kumba, Glencore, all in the green, Sasol nicely in the green, 2.5% up. Some of the losers, gold continuing its slide, Anglo Gold down 3%. Some of the retailers also coming off for Sheeney, Pepco, also down around 3%. Your favorite uh, uh, food retailer you love to hate, Woolworths down 2.5%. Uh, interesting down the market, Alec, but the thing that caught my eye, Bitcoin, below 30000 All of twenty twenty one scans gone. How about that for an asset class? So
1: where are all the Bitcoin supporters today? Are they running for cover or are they keeping the faith?
3: So Alec, this is very interesting, and you're going to love this. Michael Novogratz, he started an equity hedge fund, made billions. He's basically turned uh, his whole equity hedge fund into cryptos. They had him on CNBC earlier this afternoon. He says that he's not uh, he's not bothered. Uh, he thinks it's just a blip, um, but you could see that he was he was quaking in his boots. A man that's made billions through the equity markets, um, he thinks cryptos is, is the next big thing. And 55% drawdown in in six weeks, It's, it's heavy.
1: That's extraordinary that he would actually bet it all on something where we do know the authorities want to regulate it because of the criminality that occurs in using Bitcoin. So you'd think a really smart guy wouldn't be putting all his money on one horse.
3: Exactly, and that's I guess what makes crypto so interesting. You you look at guys like Narelle Rabini, one of the best investors in the world, he's absolutely loving Bitcoin falling from falling from the heavens, and then you got other really smart guys who have who have piled into this uh, currency that generates no value, uh, generates no cash flows um, like like other assets so it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. Yeah, people say that the momentum has been taken out of bitcoin and and we could see 20,000 in not so long
1: dr redum uh, nuriel rubini the greatest economist certainly he was in 2006 cuz he called the markets crashing uh, for the global financial crisis when everybody else was very sunny side about it so he has called bitcoin one of the biggest frauds perpetrated on mankind and for the moment anyway he's looking good okay justin so it does appear as though if you aren't invested in cryptocurrencies it hasn't been great in the last little while but um, nothing really to get too panicked about
3: nothing to get too panicked about alec but i think it is fast on your seatbelts time it's going to be a tough couple of months the easy gains have been made uh, it's, yeah, it's going to be a tough few months. Um, but from a South African perspective, the valuations aren't nearly as, as high as they are in the U.S. So hopefully we'll be able to brush some of that negativity coming from the north, um, brush it off and continue on our merry way. This
2: market report was made just for you by Brad Rock, the first ever needs-meshed life insurance that changes as your life changes.
1: That was Justin Rowe Roberts bringing us up to date as he always does at this time with the day's market movements. Now another regular, we'll find out how the news flow has been today, and here's Jackie Cameron with our flash briefing.
2: JSE listed Omnia will return one billion rand to shareholders. It has announced the resumption of an ordinary dividend for the first time since 2018 and declared a special dividend after swinging to net cash of 1.2 billion rand in the year to March. This is off net debt of 1.9 billion rand. The Chemicals and Fertilizer Group succeeded in turning around the business by settling its debt, said CEO Seelan Gobblesami, a former executive at Liberty Holdings, Stanlib and Old Mutual. There is an exodus of senior staff at IT services company Dimension Data, with senior executives who are leaving the company at the end of the month, including co-founder Jeremy Ord and group executive Bruce Watson. After 38 years at the company, Ord says he is looking forward to the next phase of his life. Tech Central reports that the departure of executives is linked to a failed management buyout. Sunlum's benchmark survey, which is a yearly analysis of the local retirement fund industry, shows that retirement fund members suspended their contributions across all fund types for an average of four and a half months in 2020 because of COVID-related lockdowns. The survey shows that not far off one-third of standalone funds And about 40% of participating employers in umbrella funds suspended contributions after mass retrenchments and pay cuts. Sotheby's, one of the biggest luxury auction houses in the world, has said it will accept Bitcoin and Ether in payment for a rare 101-carat diamond with an estimated value of $10 million or the equivalent of 140 million rand. The pear-shaped diamond, named the Key 10138, weighs 101.38 carats, it has been classified as flawless and highly chemically pure, making it extremely rare. Cryptocurrencies have emerged as a factor in auction sales this year after crypto hype exploded in the last 18 months. Items so far have mostly been limited to artwork or digital collectibles like NFTs. And so that was your Business Flash Briefing. I'm Jackie Cameron for Business. For more on those and to the other big stories of the day, visit BusinessRadio.com. I'm Jackie Cameron for BizNews, and with me is our regular BizNews Power Hour co host, Stephen Nathan. Stephen, what's caught your eye on the markets today?
4: Uh, hi, Jackie. I think what's interesting is uh, NASPES. Um NusPES and Process are both down about 2% today, and the RAND's also weakened by about 1%. And uh, the key assets in both those companies are international assets. So it should be a bit of a RAND hedge, but it's not behaving as a RAND hedge. And yesterday, NusPES, uh, announced results as the process and the, the the numbers look quite strong and I know management was incredibly bullish about uh, the um, the business outside of Tencent. We all know Tencent, but you know management was at pains to say that uh, the um, the investments outside of 10x or uh, out of Tencent are doing very well. And uh, you know a couple of years ago they sold about ten billion dollars uh, of Tencent and they said that the return. Uh, on those assets had done better than Ten Cent had done. So they are justifying that sort of diversification strategy and how they are adding value. Uh, and they also mentioned they had an independent valuation done of the businesses outside of uh, uh, Tencent because they are largely unlisted businesses and that value had also increased. So you know management's talking a very positive story but unfortunately it's it's falling on deaf ears because you know, as much as management talks the share up and what a great job they're doing, you know, NASPES continues to be weak. Uh, the discount continues to 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 widen. And from a shareholder perspective, um, you know, that strategy is not paying off for, for shareholders. And we have spoken previously about that strategy is definitely paying off for management because the salaries and bonuses and incentives they have are uh, exceptionally large. Um, but uh, the value that is being unlocked from a shareholder perspective you know it's just it's just not matching this and you know maybe it is one of uh it's a case that you just got to wait and see for a long time and maybe maybe uh uh it is going to it is going to deliver value but I still remain skeptical because as I've said before um the share size of 10 cent means that uh, the value you've got to add over and above that uh, is enormous it's you know you've got to create uh, you know like uh, uh, probably Five or six sunlums, uh, just to just to narrow the discount that uh, that exists because uh, because of a holding company discount through Nasplast to process to 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 ten cent. So you know, it's just interesting to see that. So that definitely is something uh, uh, that has caught my eye today.
2: What should shareholders do with this information? Should they be holding their shares, offloading them?
4: It's a difficult one because because you know there's 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 inherent value in uh, NASPAS, in I mean, you're buying you're buying something where you are getting, uh, you know, you're getting a rand uh, of value, you're only paying 50 cents, something like that, you know, 50, 60 cents in the rand. So in and of itself, you know, that is a very, very attractive opportunity. And the underlying assets uh, that you are buying and being exposed to are very well positioned because, you know, it's e-commerce business. And, you know, I think e-commerce globally, uh, obviously it's had a really good run, but if you take a long-term view, uh, you know there's still potentially a lot of a lot of upside and uh, these businesses even the businesses that NASPES has they are maturing so you know one of the comments that was mentioned is that uh, more and more of these businesses are generating profits uh, so they are maturing and they are showing that they can be commercially viable and they're operating really attractive markets a lot of it is sort of outside of the U.S. Uh, more sort of in Asia in China where uh, economic growth still over the next five ten years and longer, you know, looks really attractive. So, so, you know, it does look like um, you're buying a good company or you're buying good underlying assets at a good price, but it's really about the value destruction from the holding company, uh, the discounts that you're getting uh, along the way. And um, uh, as I've said before, the easiest way for management to create guaranteed value is to unlock it, is to is to unlist, uh, sorry, is to unbundle ten cent. then you'd have an, uh, an automatic probably 30 40 maybe even 50% uplift in the share price uh, and then hopefully you'd be left with other good assets you know all these uh, e-commerce assets that uh, that management says are doing really well so you'd you know you'd 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 have the best of both worlds so I wouldn't be selling that space at this stage but i think shareholders are uh, you know frustrated uh, and disappointed and it doesn't look like management is going to uh, change uh, change the strategy uh, and uh, it's not, it's not management really because it's the board but uh, the board uh, because of the uh, the voting structures that are there uh, a few shareholders and mainly quiz Becker uh, they control it so you'd have to uh, we'd have to convince quiz Becker that this was the right course of action to uh, to take for all shareholders including himself
2: so they're happy with their salaries and they don't mind too much if the share doesn't increase in value?
4: well I think that uh, they're definitely happy with their salaries. I think they have a great job. I think you know having having that 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 quantum of money to invest. I mean, if you're a, a venture capital investor or a private equity investor, it's so hard to go and raise money. You know, go you and raise five hundred million dollars, a billion dollars. It's a lot of hard work to do that. Where well, here's a company where uh, they're sitting on I think at least ten billion dollars of cash uh, uh, from um, from the proceeds of uh, the last. Uh, 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 reduction in 10 cent I think it was about two percent uh, and they've they, they reduced their shareholding by two percent uh, they've got well over 10 billion they've invested quite a bit and they've still got ten billion to play with so uh, you know they 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 really have great jobs if you love internet stocks and you love e-commerce and you want to be a a, a a private equity investor without having to ever raise money it's a phenomenal job great salaries great incentives um, so I'm sure they're having a one that you know that's I mean who who wouldn't really want that job? Um, at the same time, management does want the share price to rise. So I think they do want that um, uh, because because uh, uh, they would also benefit as shareholders. They would have also have some of their uh, compensation would be in the form of share options. So they would you know they would benefit. But I think they are a bit conflicted because shareholders don't 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 worry about the remuneration part and you know the job part and is it fun or isn't it fun? Shareholders want to maximize the return on the investment. So there is a little bit of different priorities that management would have versus uh, versus shareholders.
2: It's quite interesting because we usually have the idea that shareholders can be more powerful than managers, but these people seem to just do, just do what they like and have a a level of arrogance about them.
4: Well, you see, the problem you have is, um, uh, it's, it's, it's not one share, one vote. So your economic participation is not aligned with your voting participation uh because of the entry structure so so you have a relatively small percentage of economic ownership that uh, that controls the fate of this company so it's almost impossible for this company to ever get uh, uh uh taken over or for any activist investor to come on board and uh uh take action uh because because as i say there's a, there's a very small number of people who control it um so you know so 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 You know, those are the people you have to uh, convince. Um, And, um, you know, it's hard to say sort of is it hubris, is it arrogance or whatever it is. But, uh, you know, but clearly, you know, management is protected by the shareholders that 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 uh, control the votes rather than the shareholders that have the, you know, uh, the majority economic interest in the company. So it's a bit of a difficult one.
2: Let's have a look at SASOL. We often see SASOL bouncing up and down. Can you tell us why we so often see SASOL in the top five movers, up or down?
4: So, so SASOL, um, you know, uh, if we look at a lot of those sort of resource mining companies, um, they tend to be quite sensitive uh, to sort of small changes, either up or down. Uh, now, SASOL is a very heavily uh, indebted company. Um, so uh, so any good or bad news tends to get uh, uh, accentuated so if there's a little bit of good news, then it's leveraged so a little bit of good news you know you have to multiply that by sort of a factor because the 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 impact it can have on its financial position because it's a a, a highly geared company and because the nature of a lot of uh, uh, resource based companies is that they are very sensitive to you know small changes either in the currency or in the underlying uh, commodity price uh, so that's really what we're seeing with sassel highly geared company uh small changes in uh the uh the oil price the oil outlook either good or bad uh can have a and do have a large uh, intraday swing and as you say you know it's quite unusual to see you know these very large companies that um uh you know they can move five percent in a day Uh, We're used to small companies that can sort of move uh, that, but not large companies. And also the challenge one has with Sasol is that the long-term outlook uh, for its underlying business, uh, uh, fossil fuels, given uh, environmental concerns, is not great. So there's a lot of um, uh, adapting they would have to do to become uh, more uh, uh, eco-friendly Um, So that is a long term challenge for the business. But the short term looks good because where the oil price is and where their market capitalization is, um, you know, they're only trading on a single digit PE. So it looks relatively cheap in the short run, but there are long term uh, concerns for the long term viability of their business.
2: Stephen, Mr. Seelan Gobblesami, the CEO behind the dramatic turnaround at JSE-listed Omnia, announced today that it is to return one billion rand to shareholders. What did you make of the announcement and Mr. Gobelsamy's efforts?
4: Uh, I think he's doing, you know, doing a really uh, good job. You know, uh, clearly it's a big it's a big leap coming from one industry to the other. But I really liked his journey. You know, sitting sitting on the board as a non-executive director, having uh, an independent look from the outside in. And uh, not liking what you are seeing, and believing that you can add value, and believing that uh, you know there's lots of jobs and people's livelihoods at uh, uh, at stake over here. And uh, you know, I think as he says, um, you know, turning a big business around doesn't happen overnight. I know he joined in it was uh, September 2018, so it took them a little bit of time to kind of get to grips with 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 what they had. And then he said, as he mentioned, having a rights issue, you know when you had a two years ago having a rights issue for two billion, uh, you know we, we kind of call these sort of things the emergency rights issues, uh, you know where the business really needs the money, uh, and you have to do that at quite a deep discount, your share price uh, he said they did it at twenty rand, you know and you fast forward two years later, the share price has gone from twenty rand to fifty five. so investors that uh, that followed their rights and bought shares at uh, at twenty rand have more than doubled their money. Uh, within two years. Plus, they've got dividends. I think that's also a really important point. You know, they're paying a special dividend here of four Rand. And you just think of that, uh, you know, four Rand on uh, 20 Rand, uh, you know, what's that? 20%. Uh, 20%? Four Rand. Yeah. You know, so you, there alone, you're getting a 20% return on that. Plus, you're getting uh, uh, an ordinary dividend of another two Rand, another 10% on your investment back then. So, you know, I think it's done a really, uh, a really good job. And, um, uh, as I said, I, I also liked his his comment about, uh, you know, there's certain fundamentals, certain sort of uh, uh, golden threads that go through business. It doesn't matter what industry you're in, because financial services is, uh, you know, a world away from agriculture and chemicals and mining. Um, you know, but the common thread is really looking after people uh, and giving people, uh, you know, clear guidance as to as to, uh, you know, what is expected. And also, I think setting uh, setting targets, you know, setting financial targets are quite simply uh, return on equity, return on capital. And I think that's something that Omnia has been guilty of. It's, you know, um, uh, it, it's got a big balance sheet. It's a very capital intensive business. Uh, it's probably got too much capital. It probably, you know, it's had too much invested. I know they own quite a lot of land and they're looking to to sort of exit that. So so I think it's what was good. It was um, uh, bringing someone in with a financial background that can put in some strong financial metrics uh, uh grow the business, preserve the jobs, and add value to to shareholders so you know I think all the stakeholders there it looks like uh you know are getting uh, getting looked after and uh it's very interesting to see where this business uh, can go i mean one thing that I did find interesting because I did listen to the uh, to the investor presentation today, and one thing that was interesting would be nice to get uh Sealand back at another time is he mentioned uh it was in response to a question from one of the uh, fund managers uh, he mentioned the challenges that they were having uh with transnet with logistics uh just in terms of the supply chain and you know getting goods to and from market uh, and then he spoke about uh, 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 copper theft, and one of their senior executives couldn't even be on the call because of copper theft and uh and you know his comment was that uh was that if we could fix transnet. Uh, that it would add a couple of percentage points to GDP now I'm not sure if it's as big as a couple of percentage points to GDP, uh, you know but even if it's half or one percent, you know the cost of doing business uh, uh, and we've mentioned that before and it's been men- it's been mentioned quite a lot, but you know if you just look at the impact that that has on uh, on companies and then our ability to create jobs and preserve jobs and build the economy and have returns to shareholders, uh, I thought that was quite an interesting comment coming out of him as well. Is it a company that you would consider investing in? Yes, I think so. you know I think that uh, um, uh you know it looks as if uh they've got a good uh management team and a good strategy and the the right focus and it is a business as you said it's a you know it's a it's a it's an old business it's a sixty year old business they've got uh they've got great customers you know they're operating in core sectors of an economy i mean agriculture we can't do without agriculture food security um you know you know uh, that is a a great long term uh, business to be in, as long as that can be disrupted by technology. In 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 the sense that we are still, you know, we we are going to need the goods and so that 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 are produced, and they are sort of a technology provider in terms of uh, the uh, the services and uh, the fertilizers and uh, you know all of the products that they provide to it to to agriculture. So I think they're operating, you know. Interesting areas: ag- uh, agriculture, in the mining sector, and also in chemical sector. And also, it's a global business. They operate, I think, in 25 countries around the world. Um, so it's it's you know it's also good rand hedge uh, for South Africans, and they would benefit from a weaker uh, a weaker rand because that would make their uh, the exporting cheaper. Uh, so I think it's a you know it's a it's a it's a good business, and hopefully with the right management. Uh, you know they can they can add value over a consistent period of time because you know this was a uh, a company where i think the 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 high of the share if we go back uh 10 years ago it was you know to something like i think it was about 140 rand a share uh, uh a long time ago you know so it's a business that you know that is really underperformed for a very long time uh and as i said you know the core business is a good business it's a business where uh, there is demand for that uh, through through you know throughout an economic cycle. Um, so I do think it has uh, has attractive uh, longer term prospects, but one never really knows in the short run if if, if you're going to be rewarded. Because as we said earlier, the share price has more than uh, it's more than doubled. Um, but I think as a long term, it's a nice uh, 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 it is a good company uh, to own because of. You know the underlying fundamentals of the business and a good management team in place
2: Stephen you've been looking quite closely at the United States and the risk of inflation and the weaker rand in relation to the dollar. Tell us what's happening there. Can you make sense of what's happening in the u s
4: uh, well I think you know if you if you sort of look at uh, uh, financial markets in general um, you know what is uh, what is really uh happening? As an overlay, uh, an overarching uh, theme is that uh, there's 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 a lot of demand and there's limited supply and there's actually constraints and bottlenecks in in supply. Um, so so there's a lot of demand because of all the kind of free money and the cheap money and the checks that have been uh, mailed in the post in in uh, in the US and the UK and many other developed markets. So 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 consumers have money. Um, but uh, the supply side of things, factories have been closed, uh, so so not as many goods have been manufactured as the demand. So you've had a sort of the 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 traditional supply demand has been out of kilter, where supply has been sort of turned off and turned down, and demand has been turned up. Uh, then we had the crisis in the Suez canal. There's a global shortage of uh, uh, chips uh, for microprocessors, which impact telephones and TVs and computers and so many other things that have, uh, cause everything in our lives. Uh, and there's also been uh disruptions there's been some fires as well in some of the big plants around the world so there's quite a lot of disruption and what's happening is that it's 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 all fueling inflation so so rising inflation typically is 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 bad for uh stock markets because when interest rates go up uh the cost of borrowing goes up, and companies tend uh uh not to do as well in a rising interest rate environment and then consumers also not do as well because more of their disposable income Needs to go to pay down debt, and it's less to less to uh, consume. So what we're seeing is 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 this uh, uh, inflation rearing its head again. And you know, inflation is really one of the big sort of themes for financial markets because one of the reasons why financial markets uh, we're talking about financial markets, we're talking about asset prices like uh, uh, listed uh, uh, shares, uh, even the bond market, uh, and even property assets have done really well in a low interest rate environment, and there hasn't been much of a concern. About inflation, and even uh, Jerome Powell, the Fed chairman, the previous uh, Fed meeting three months ago, said, "Well, we're not going to be raising interest rates. I think it was for the whole of this year and the whole of next year, and probably only into 2023. And the stock markets took a lot of comfort in that, and they rallied. But at the recent, the more recent uh, Fed meeting, uh, they're sort of uh, doing a about turn and saying, "Well, because of." Uh, uh, inflation, what we're seeing, we might have to raise rates sooner. So there's a little bit of a uh, uncertainty in the markets because of that.
2: You've been listening to Stephen Nathan, independent investment expert and financial services entrepreneur, who is the co-host of the Business News Power Hour. I'm Jackie Cameron for Business News. Mr. Brian Van Royen is CEO of Lebat Which has been putting the company on the path to becoming one of the country's largest cannabis players. Brian Labatt missed its deadline for submitting financial results for the six months to the end of February. With the JC announcing last week that your company has been annotated with RE, which means that it is under threat of suspension. Can you tell us what's behind the scenes, what's been going on behind the scenes there?
5: Yes, Jackie. Look, it's it's simple. Uh, Unfortunately, when we deconsolidated the results of uh, of our fuel business that uh, that we that we sold off uh, at the end of the financial year August 2020, we had a qualified report because the auditors of Force Fuel could not complete the audit in time. Obviously, even though it's deconsolidated and it has no impact on Labatt, the qualification remains. Uh, and as a result, we had to do a audit review, uh, in our reviewed results for the end of, uh, February 2021. Unfortunately, uh, the, that, uh, we had to appoint new auditors for, uh, for force fuel. That audit has now been completed um and uh, we didn't want to publish our reviewed results again with a qualification and and that is the only thing the the review is almost completed uh, i um, the last couple of days the auditors have been meeting with our uh, with the group auditors to review their files so that they can remove the qualification from Labat. So, uh, we are quite comfortable that we would have uh, um, no problem in publishing our results. Our results is ready for publication. Uh, We haven't put out any Any announcement uh, uh, With regard to Change statement or uh, Or whatever uh, uh, There might be because we haven't Finalized those figures although We have put out a sense announcement To say that um, We have made adequate provision That whatever the outcome of The reviewed results On the deconsolidation of force It will have not one Single cent impact on the published results at the twenty eighth of February, uh, the thirty first of August, twenty
2: twenty. So, what caused the delay behind the scenes? Then, was this auditor incompetence, or was there some kind of irregularity? Well,
5: no, no, there wasn't. Um, uh, what happened, uh, and, and I can mention the auditors was uh, was Mazars, uh, and uh, Mazars was appointed by. Uh, by the business rescue practitioner because at the time of the order, the company was in business rescue. We've obviously taken the, uh, the figures as presented by the business rescue practitioner to the uh, various creditors as the final figures, which was the lowest figures that we could ever take. So so um uh, I won't say there was any incompetence there was just uh, a, a we could have left it but the problem is for as long as we leave it it remains a a qualification on our audits until our group auditors are satisfied um an audit was done. Let me put it that way. Uh, at the time of the publication of the business rescue plan, an audit was done by the firm of accountants uh, that was the business rescue practitioners. But that is not independent. So we had to get an independent group to do an audit. Uh, so, so that was the uh, that was the only reason why that was uh, was not completed. You know, it it. Just, Ran out of time, and the only thing for us not to run out of time. we had to accept that our group auditors would um, uh, would qualified our results. but the qualification uh, if we go look at the qualification in the annual report, it was specifically geared and directed at the fact that the auditors the previous auditors of force fuel did not complete the audit
2: investors take this kind of news very seriously because it can indicate big problems behind the scenes how did you feel about this have heads rolled
5: uh, well uh, uh, well there's no heads to roll i mean there is no real layers to roll on the on the force fuel issue we have we have informed investors we've informed the uh, the public we've put out a notice uh, uh, we we put out a sense announcement that we have made adequate provision um, uh, there was a request from the from the j s e for an explanation we've given them the explanation. they were satisfied with the explanation uh, uh that plus is is a really not uh, a major issue it, it 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 is not a nice issue to have uh, because you always have the threat of uh, of a possible suspension but I must say in our twenty four years of listening. Uh, you know we we had made sure that over the years uh these things are are being dealt with. This was unfortunate. it was one of those issues that uh we've taken a complete write off and, and and the market and investors would recall uh that when we um, uh in our a year in 2019, we had already taken a 250 million write-off of that business completely. So there was, there was no impact whatsoever whether it was included or whether it was excluded. Okay. And we've made proper, proper disclosure and we've made uh, proper provision, adequate provision, that there is nothing that will affect uh, the labat business going forward.
2: One of the concerns is just missing the deadline. Could you have done something with hindsight yeah. to meet the deadline and then avoid this problem?
5: Yeah. No, we couldn't. I mean, you had to appoint total new auditors. Uh, uh, we wouldn't have missed the deadline at the end of the year, but we wanted to do it in the interims. We didn't have to do it in interims. Uh, we could have just carried on, and uh, uh, but we wanted to get it out of the way. We wanted to get get it out of the way. In fact, there was going to be no difference between the reviewed results uh, uh, having a qualification and then corrected it. Uh, I must uh, we must take our hat off for the for the auditors that we've appointed. They were quite quick. We went through a rigorous process. We had to wait for the sign off of the previous financials, um, uh, or for by Mazars. And uh we needed to have uh well not us because we weren't in control of it anymore. The business rescue practitioner had to have a proper exit interview with uh with the previous auditors, that there was nothing untoward and um uh and the files were signed off and they were given to uh to the new auditors. So so in hindsight, uh, we would have either had a qualified or a, a reviewed set of results um, at the end of February uh, or a little bit late without a qualification.
2: Brian, on the back of this news, you've also had the news that your colleagues at Biodata have the go-ahead to undertake a medical trial that could dramatically transform lives for many people who get addicted to
5: pharmaceutical sure. painkillers.
2: Will this change the picture for Labatt Africa's finances?
5: It, it, it certainly will I'm, I must now be very careful what I say because we haven't published our results yet. Uh, uh, but um, uh, the things that we've been working on, this will certainly... Uh, look, it's still it's still a process. You know, pharmaceuticals uh, uh, doesn't uh, turn these things around within six months or 12 months. It normally takes uh, a couple of years for your drug master files and uh, all those things to be... Um, uh, uh, to be completed uh, the fundamental thing for us is the fact that we're the first company to receive uh, permission from the ethics committee to proceed with it uh, that in itself uh, opened the gate not only from a pharmaceutical point of view but from a medicinal point of view because medicinal and pharmaceutical is slightly different. we wanted to go the pharmaceutical route because that's your uh, uh that's basically going in looking at replacing opiates with uh with with with, with cannabis uh, which has been done uh, uh if you read all these things in the media uh about people using uh cannabis for all sorts of things But we have to stay within the regulated framework of using cannabis for whatever ailments as prescribed by the regulator in
3: South Africa.
2: Before we close off here, just tell us briefly what the trial entails. Do we know how many people are are going to be enrolled? What types of illnesses will they have? How will the trial be conducted?
5: Well, the trial is going to be an online trial. We've done a lot of work on it, uh, and and it would be uh, it will be uh, started off with a medical questionnaire from the participant, and we're talking about uh, between uh, I think five and ten thousand uh, uh, people that will be that will be on the trial. And you will then online go and give your medical condition. It will be assessed by the group of doctors that are involved and they will prescribe you cannabis.
2: You've been listening to Mr. Brian Van Royen, CEO of cannabis-focused company Labatt. I'm Jackie Cameron for BizNews.
1: Greg Sher is general manager at discovery and uh, how old are you guys now at discovery invest feels like just the other day for me that you launched was that mid2000s
6: well discovery invest launched in uh, at the end of 2007 um, so it is it is pretty much a new company although I, you know I look back on it and now it's actually been it's been over a decade and uh, and we still feel like we're just getting out the starting blocks uh, but it has been an incredible journey uh, at, at the moment. And the world
1: has changed so much. The investment world, we know uh, from a business point of view, we we started understanding exponentiality round about 2014, uh, and now the whole world is going to new ideas, new themes. You can't really find another Google, Amazon, uh, Apple back to when they were cheap those days. You, you've got to try and look into the future for something else now.
6: Absolutely, I mean that that is actually the thinking behind. Uh, the most recent fund that we've that we've brought out, and and really the the idea is to to look into the future and to look at what are going to be, you know, what are the the themes that are shaping the world today, and which will be the future themes, uh, and and then sort of tapping into those and trying to invest in those in those themes in the future,
1: because the future is clearly very different to what we've been used to.
6: Yes, correct. I mean, the the future, if you think about just the pace of innovation and the pace that things change. Um, it is staggering uh, compared to what it used to be in, in, in old years. I mean, you just think of an example, how long, you know, you get broad acceptance of, of different things, like airlines and cars, they took 60 to 70 years to reach, let's uh, say, 50 million people. To reach 50 million people took 60 to 70 years. Um, Facebook took just just three years. Uh, so the pace of innovation is, is, is very quick. I mean, you think about the, the most recent one that we looked at is uh, Pokemon Go, that little, that little game. Um, it took 19 days to reach 50 million users. So really, the the pace is is exponential, and, and you have to be able to you know to make your money work for you. You have to be able to to take advantage of these themes and and where the and where the world is going.
1: So you've partnered with Goldman Sachs on uh, this new product. Just unpack it for us. A. Why Goldman Sachs? And B. What the product is.
6: Yeah, so Goldman Sachs, uh, we, we are we, we are very excited uh, that they are our partner. You know, they are a global powerhouse. They have uh, over 1.8 trillion dollars in assets under management. I just think it's the staggering scale. It's it's extreme exploit. It's um, you know, it's it's over 25 trillion rand uh, that they manage. Uh, so collaboratively with them, we've launched the fund, uh, a fund called the Global Megatrends Fund, and, and really the idea behind this this fund is that. It focuses on the main themes, or four main themes to be precise, that are that are shaping the world today. And these are the things that we think are going to be uh, sort of the, the themes of the future, you know, where the world is going. Um, the, the, the themes sort of look at things like healthcare provision, you know, wh- what that's going to look like in the future, technology, which obviously affects every single part of our lives, um, the huge focus on the environment and sustainability. We all know that that is a sort of a topic that is very hot at the moment, and something that that governments around the world are, are grappling with. And then, and then importantly, uh, what we call a new age consumer, uh, millennials. These are people that are born from 1980 onwards. And, and their spending habits, uh, and, and to be able to invest in the places that these people are going to spend their money, uh, those are, the, I guess, the companies and shares that are planned for, for growth in the future.
1: So the fund will look at those four areas, divided
6: right. equally? Uh, yes, that's right. It's actually made up of four funds, four individual funds. Uh, these funds are actively managed by Goldman Sachs. So Goldman Sachs have a healthcare provision fund. They have a tech Technology Advancement Fund, an Environment and Sustainability Fund, and a, a New Age Consumer Fund called the Millennials Fund, and, and this, this uh, structure that we've put together uh, invests equally in each of these different uh, components, and it gives importantly it gives South African investors uh, the ability to get access to these to these themes, to where the world is going, to how the you know growth in the future through these particular particular strategies.
1: Can you invest in the underlying funds as well? If you uh, perhaps think that environmental sustainability is the most important issue and you want to have more of your money there, or is it one package?
6: We've packaged it as one uh, single fund. So once you invest in this fund, you get access to all four of those at the same time. There are different funds around the world. If you wanted to particularly buy healthcare shares or technology shares by themselves, obviously, you're, you're able to get hold of that. But that's, that's not what this does. What this does is it diversifies your investment across these different themes. Because importantly, you know, themes will perform at different times. It's very important that you get a, a basket uh, that it is adequately diversified and that the correlation between the themes is is relatively low so that when one is doing very well uh, when one is doing poorly you have others that are that, that are picking up and that's what that's the idea behind this fund
1: and then the other big story about uh, back testing or taking what if you had done this 5 years ago how would the portfolios have performed
6: well, the portfolio is is relatively new, uh, so it doesn't have a lot of uh, back testing behind it. Um having said that, e- each of the different components within the fund have have actually uh, have got a bit of a history. Over the last year, the technology component has done over eighty percent growth in dollars. Uh, the environmental one, again, has done over eighty five, percent done eighty six percent. The millennials piece has done, uh, I think, it was seventy two percent, and the healthcare component has done twenty. But importantly, the the uh, the focus here is not on past performance. These are long term trends that are actually coming in the future, and so although it's had an incredibly strong uh, strong performance over the, the, the last the last year or so, uh, it's really the future that's the that's the most exciting for us. And if you if you look at just the the, the S and P five hundred, uh, you know the five hundred largest stocks in America, and then you deconstruct that and you look at which which of those stocks were actually aligned to these themes uh, from 2014 to 2020? So over the last six years, which of these were aligned to these themes and which of these were, were not aligned to these, to these themes? So which of these companies are disruptors and which of them are going to be disrupted? And the, the ones that are disruptors um, have outperformed by 182%. And those that have underperformed have underperformed by 97%. Uh, so it is. It is actually staggering if you look at, you know, the I, I guess how binary it is. Those funds that those shares that have done uh, very well because they are aligned to these themes, and those that have been that have been left behind. And you want to be in those fund in those shares that are that are aligned to to these secular growth themes.
1: And how does it compare with, say, uh, a very popular local one like the Signia Fourth Industrial Revolution Fund? Is it similar?
6: Um, the, the no, it, it it is different. I mean, the, it, firstly, it's invest it's investing in different themes uh, to the to the Signia Fund, and also the Signia Fund is a is a passive investment uh, strategy, uh, whereas this one is very actively actively managed. Uh, we believe that the 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 benefit of having an active man- management here is really that you if a specific theme or shares within a theme are not performing well that you have you know you have an engine room of of hundreds of people at goldman sachs that that can react to this this is not like uh, you know i don't think this is a fund where you want to sort of follow an index uh, and just sort of see wherever it goes uh, this is something where you actually do want that active that active management
1: My first sighting of Dan Ariely, one of the world's leading behavioral economists, was more than seven years ago when he was a star attraction at the 2013 Discovery Leadership Conference. You might recall in the days before COVID that used to be held at the Santon Convention Center. Well, the star of the Israeli-American author of Predictably Irrational has been on the rise ever since. Thanks to his brilliance, not just in that book, but in interviews and everywhere else, it seems, in using economics to explain reasons for everyday behavior that baffles the rest of us. Ariely recently started an asset management company called Irrational Capital, naturally, which applies his insights to investments. Our partners at Bloomberg caught up with a Duke University professor to understand from him where he's placing his bets, and why. And as we'll hear in this podcast with Joe Weisenthal and Tracy Alloway, it's all about the people.
7: When, when investors do due diligence on companies, I think they have to understand the human capital in that company. If you, if you look to get a big position in a company and hoping to, to turn them around and you're not getting a really good view of the human capital, you're missing something very big in your evaluation. And I know, you know it's, it doesn't feel as good to get numbers like, 4.5 and it feels much better to get a, a number with a dollar sign and two decimals. But, but ignoring that information, I think ignores way too much yeah. in the real value of a company. So I think, I think it's very true for any evaluation of a company needs to take that into account. And then of course, if you want to be activist, like think about Microsoft as an example, Microsoft changed CEOs and had an amazing transformation. And if you look at that transformation, it was largely a cultural transformation.
0: Since you brought up Microsoft, I actually wanted to ask you about tech companies um, and maybe the difference with other firms. So one of the criticisms of the way ESG proponents go out and, you know, typically ESG will say, well, we outperformed over the past year, especially so it proves that you should invest in ESG companies um, because we produce that alpha. But then a lot of people will point out in response that, well, the ESG statistics for tech look particularly good because they're not actually polluting that much. Uh, you know, most of what they do is intangibles. I imagine that could apply to the human capital argument as well. So tech companies would naturally be more aware and conscientious of their human capital than other companies. So I, I guess what I'm asking is, is that true in your research? And then secondly, how does that fit in to the alpha equation? Like, are you outperforming simply because you're buying more tech companies with a, a strategy that's focused on human capital?
7: So, so my strategy is to look at all the companies and take the ones that are top on human capital and, and buy them. Now I do have a bias in the portfolio towards tech, but it's not, It's not fully tech and it's not close to being half tech. It moves between, depending on the year, between 20% and 40%. Now, the interesting thing about our results that surprised me, I have to say, was that we didn't find the reason to create a different model in different sectors. So you would say something like in manufacturing, you could say, oh, in manufacturing, how important is it to be appreciated? Turns out to be just the same. Uh, and since since we got that result, I, I understand that phenomena much better. But even think about something like Target and Walmart. There was recently a study that asked, like, what happens when a customer shows up and there's something that is out of stock, and they ask one of the salespeople to to check if it's in the in the back room if they still have it. It turns out at Walmart they never check. You know, they're just not that motivated. And in Target, they go and check, and they often find it. Now, now this is a, It's not Google or Amazon. Uh, but, but goodwill is incredibly important. So, so we find that our model of saying, you know, what's important is to feel appreciated and you can make uh, honest mistakes and you feel connected to the company and all the things that we find, you find that promotion is, is, is fair. Uh, we find that all of those things are equal across the different sectors. And uh, we also find that they are important across the rank within the company. So to answer your question, I think, yes, we are slightly heavy on on tech compared to a a sector neutral strategy. Of course, we can also have a sector neutral strategy. We don't think that's the right thing to do, but you can do it. But but it doesn't it doesn't only hold for tech company. It holds it holds for everybody equally as far as we can tell. I just I mean, I guess we haven't talked. What are the results? Like what what have you seen? Like what is the what is what do you anticipate getting? What have you gotten? What does the data show in terms of making money? So the, the return, the historical return that we have is slightly more than 7% just by looking at human capital, right? So by the way, this is a pure strategy. Sure. You could, of course, if you wanted to, you could combine it with other things. But it's important for us to prove, like, how is just this one signal? What is this one signal uh, worth? And from 2006, it's, it's, about, it's about 7% uh, over the, the S&P. Wow but but the things that are that are important underneath it is a lot about right. fairness it's a lot about being appreciated there was another interesting factor that became more important which we call inclusive innovation and inclusive innovation is how many voices around the table are being heard and that was always important but it became extra important during covid and the reason is that when you sit around a physical table the people who don't like to talk that much still talk at some point, a little bit. The, the, the social pressure is very high. But when people are on Zoom, lots of people are just silent. They just basically drop off. You lose some insights, you lose some collaboration, you lose some uh, opinions. And the companies that, that do better on that find things much more important. The, the other thing that increased over COVID, I told you, was uh, feeling appreciated. Companies, you know, it's it's hard, it's hard to say thank you over Zoom. Uh, compared to when you're in a room, in a room you can just tap on somebody's shoulder, you could wink at them. On Zoom, it's a little extra tough. People need to work right. at it harder, and some people are better at it and and worse at it. And then feeling that people have a future with the company became more important. And and I think it's because of this. There was so much uncertainty about the, what the the job market would hold, what would happen to the turmoils. Uh, so so that also became much more important so c e o s that communicated and helped people understand where the company is going did did much better
0: So since we're on the topic of what changed during COVID, I'm curious if you did any research on flexible work arrangements and the idea of companies, you know, allowing their employees to work from home as needed, because that's such a hot button issue right now. There's such a big debate over whether employees feel better about being able to do that or whether or not they enjoy the camaraderie of an office environment. I'm, I'm just curious whether that came up at all.
7: So, yes, we studied uh, tens of thousands of people on this, on this question. I'll, I'll give you kind of the highlights. The, f- the first highlight is that some flexibility is good, but people should go back to the office. It's also the fact that people are not good judges of whether they should go back to the office or not. Mm-hmm. You know, after a year or so of being away, people forget what it is to work with people. You know, people are still a little bit afraid, COVID, distance, but, but, you know, the things that happen in this interaction between people, you don't recognize it and appreciate it. It's, it's hard to quantify. It's hard to quantify chit chat. It's the water cooler and over coffee. I think, A, work from home is important, and some of it should stay maybe a day a week. If it becomes just work the same work you do in the office, just do it from home, that's not as valuable. People should do different work at home, the kind of things that the home environment is more suitable for. Companies also need to co- collaborate on this. If you have a Zoom meeting or whatever technology you use, where half the people are physical and half the people are distant, the people who are distant are second-class citizens. And and because of that, unless companies coordinate and say Tuesday, the whole team can stay home, unless the, unless it's coordinated, you know, people would say, oh, I have a, I was going to stay at home, but I have this one important meeting. I'm not going to be the only one on Zoom because I have something to say. I want them to pay attention. And if I'm going, I might as well go early. Uh, I think unless companies kind of coordinate on that, it would very quickly uh, go back to people being in the office the whole time. So I think it's important to keep a little bit of it. It needs to be a different kind of work rather than work remotely, but but do the same things. And I think companies need to put some effort into it, so that the coordination allows that to to stay. And I'll say one last thing: I think that people are going to be concerned when they first come back. So I have a research lab here at Duke, where about 50 people. Uh, I'm waiting for Duke to allow us in. I'm I'm in the office right now, but I'm the only one in the office. I'm waiting for for people to come to come back, and some people are going to be concerned, right? It's been it's been a long time. Uh, people were anxious, COVID-related kind of a things. What can we do to get people to to drop their their concern? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and get people to come. I'm, I'm going to ask people to come every day, but tell them they can come for a short time if they want to. And and the reason I want this is that we learn about risk from experience, and not from statistics that we read. So I want for people to have the experience of coming to the office and nothing bad happened. Coming to the office, that's going to be the best medicine against fear, right? Just practice it a few times and see that nothing bad happens and then in a few weeks people would be relaxed. But if we tell people, oh, you know, if you don't want to come to the office, don't come to the office, we're not going to help them subside that, that fear as much. That was Dan
1: Ariely, one of the world's leading behavioral economists who was talking to the Bloomberg Odd Lots podcast about what drives the investment process at his new asset management business. Well, a cracking show for you. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did putting it together. Uh, we'll be back again tomorrow, same time, same place uh, from the team here at Biz News. Until then, cheerio. You've been listening to the Power Hour brought to you by the team at Biz News.